You're listening to On the Road, Our Way, the archive of the podcast formerly known as Women on the Road from 2017 to 2020, hosted and produced by Laura Borshevsky and a production of Ravel Media. Solomon is committed to making functional and beautiful products for running, hiking, skiing, and however else you like to get out to play. And this year, Solomon is celebrating all the ways women experience their own inherent beauty. We are excited to join Solomon in their WMN campaign by introducing you to some of their ambassadors who are defining beauty for themselves. I'm Tori Duhane, the sponsored content producer for Ravel Media. Join me later in the episode when I talk with Laura about where she is finding her own beauty. Learn more about Solomon's wide range of shoes and apparel at Solomon.com. That's S-A-L-O-M-O-N.com. Just because technically right now, I can drive to Florida doesn't mean that I should. And I think we really have to be honest with ourselves about our boundaries, about what feels right and okay. And that that right and okay question isn't just about us, it's about the people around us and the communities we're traveling to. Go have fun, but we don't need to go far to have fun. I'm Laura Borshevsky. And you're listening to Women on the Road, a podcast to bring you closer to some of the honest experiences that life on the road has to offer from the perspective of women who've lived them firsthand. And this episode is all about something we've been thinking a lot about lately, how to safely, responsibly get out and travel again. If you tuned in for an episode we aired in March regarding COVID-19 and travel, you might remember that we wanted to create a resource for folks to look to when deciding if and how to participate in road travel. Since then, a lot has changed, and some of us are beginning to see reopenings of parks, loosened restrictions on camping and lodging, and access to our favorite restaurants and shops. Plus, it's the beginning of summertime, so the road is basically screaming our name as we look to our calendars and see a whole lot of nothing as a result of all those canceled plans. But here's the thing. Any kind of travel right now requires a lot more critical thinking, discernment, reading between the lines, asking questions, and doing research than it probably ever did before. And as someone planning to car camp or drive into the wilderness, you might not feel like you alone could make a huge impact on this pandemic. But as we've seen, the reality is that movement in general can lead to transmission, which means that travelers have the capacity to create an immense effect on the trajectory of viral spread. Not the intro you wanted to hear? Well, the good news is that we're not here to make you feel guilty. We know you want to get out there, and hey, we do too. But more importantly, we want you to be knowledgeable and prepared, whether you're planning to get out on the road soon or hoping to sometime later in 2020. In this episode, we look at information through the eyes of women who love to travel and also hold public health as a top priority. And because this is an unprecedented situation, that means we're learning about this virus all the time, which also means that it's a personal responsibility of yours to keep up to date and use the most current objective information available when it's time to make travel decisions. Also, this might be disappointing, but we're not here to tell you, ultimately, what to do. Engaging in responsible travel means coming to your own conclusions driven by facts and your values. So in this episode, we're aiming to help in that process by providing you with questions, tips, and tools to make your own best decisions at the time. So with all of this, let's have empathy for ourselves and others. But let's also keep thinking and trying. Because the safer we are collectively, the more we can actually go out and do. It also feels important to add, before we get too far into things, that we've tailored a lot of this conversation to be directed towards those living in the United States, especially when it comes to discussing closures and policy. 
But that said, there's a lot to be learned from what's going on here that could be applied to other places in the world. We're honored to have three incredible professionals joining the show who not only have experience on the road, but also firsthand know-how in both the medical and advocacy realms. The first is Emily Scott, a registered nurse based in Seattle, who joined us on our first episode regarding COVID-19 and travel, and has worked in the past combating the Ebola outbreak abroad, and is currently working in the middle of the coronavirus outbreak in Seattle. Joining us also is M. Cheng, whose voice you've heard on the show before as well. M. is a travel nurse currently based in Washington, too, and has extensive travel experience in addition to her time in healthcare. You'll also hear another familiar voice on this episode, and that's of Katie Bouet, founder of the Outdoor Advocacy Project and someone who has put a lot of thought into her own travel plans and methods. Katie also recently worked to help launch the new Recreate Responsibly campaign with the support of an outdoor advocacy-based coalition, and it's giving us all a lot to think about when it comes to being thoughtful both on the road and the trails. Speaking of which, you'll find a lot of travel and dispersed camping-related information in this episode, but you won't hear much about recreation itself. There is a lot to cover on both topics, which is why we teamed up with our sister podcast, She Explores, to produce two episodes this week that are related to adventuring responsibly. The recreation focus episode of She Explores aired on Wednesday, so you can find it in the She Explores podcast feed as well as through a link in our show notes. It's a great follow-up to this episode that's geared more towards travel and camping. To get things started, let's talk about face coverings and masks. We're seeing people wear them in public and sometimes in the outdoors, and it made us want to know more. Are face masks actually important for us to wear both as travelers and when we're stationary? And if so, why? Emily Scott kicks off this answer, followed by M. Chang. First, I want to clarify there's different kinds of masks. So obviously medical masks and N95s, and in this strange time, we're in such a shortage of them that those really need to be reserved for healthcare workers only. The way they're made and the way that we're trained to use them, those kinds of masks are meant more to protect us from sick people because we obviously, as a nurse, I can't socially distance from a sick person. That's the whole point is that I'm up close and personal with them. So those really need to be reserved for us. But cloth masks, homemade face coverings work the other way around. So the point is to protect other people from you. Especially with young and healthy people being vectors and carriers of the disease, wearing a mask is more important in protecting others, not only yourself. And especially in situations where you can't social distance and be six feet apart from another human, wearing a face mask is important to decrease the spread of COVID. So masks are important to wear to protect others, not just yourself. But what qualifies as an adequate face covering? Emily breaks it down in pretty simple terms. You want at least two layers of fabric and you want it to have a good seal against your face. So like not having a whole lot of space where air can escape, like you don't want the whole top to be open or the whole bottom to be open or whatever. And you also want it to have straps so you can put it on and take it off without contaminating yourself. You really only want to be touching the straps when you're putting it on and taking it off. So I know people, especially hikers, um, have been wondering about like a bandana or a buff. It's something, but it's not ideal especially since you're going to have to be like pulling it on and off all the time by constantly touching the front of it. So that's not great. So an actual cloth mask with straps on it and all that would be better. It's important to know that face coverings don't make us invincible or immune to virus of any kind, and COVID-19 is no exception. While we're talking about masks, Emily reminded us that cloth masks in particular don't have much efficacy research behind them. 
We'll post a link in our show notes to a video she referenced from Science Sam that does break down all of the current data we have. But M. Chang summarized some of the most important things you need to know about it. The use of a mask is not 100% protective. There's actually studies on the efficacy of how well cloth masks and buffs work. And so in a study done by CDC in 2015, 90% of particles can actually go through a cloth mask and 40% can get through a surgical mask. So it isn't 100% guaranteed protection, but just realizing that you should still practice social distancing and limit the amount of people you're interacting with is really important. And even N95 isn't 100% protective. So clearly, cloth masks do play a role in preventing some viral transmission, but not nearly all of it. Which is why Emily spends a lot of her time online explaining in further detail why it's important, even when wearing a mask, to practice as much social distancing as possible. The data we have shows cloth masks stop droplets from breathing or talking at least a bit. But the more forcefully you're exhaling, the less effective these cloth masks are. So if you're coughing or sneezing or like yelling, that force is strong enough to escape the mask like for sure. So a mask doesn't make it okay for you to go out and about if you're not feeling well. If you're sick, you're home, you're isolated, period. End of story. It also doesn't make any activity okay. It's not like if you're wearing a mask, then like, hey, let's have a party because everyone's wearing masks. That's a hard note. It's sort of supposed to be your last line of defense. So if you really need to go somewhere for an essential activity, you can't avoid being within six feet of other people, definitely wear your mask have some other people around you wear them to protect you, but it doesn't make you infallible just to have a cloth mask on. Okay, so we know a little bit more about face masks now. They're not a perfect defense by any means, but they are important to wear and collectively it makes more of an impact. But when do we wear them? Especially as travelers, it can be easy to feel like once we get somewhere new or different that we're on vacation, especially if others around us aren't wearing any kind of face covering. But here's the thing. Masks are important to wear even when you're traveling, maybe even more so. To make it simple, we asked both Emily and M to outline the basic principles of when they would encourage anyone to wear them. So I, at this point, always have one with me. I put it on if I'm going to be within six feet of other people. So like if you're on the road, like when you're going grocery shopping or stopping at a rest stop or maybe ranger stations, that kind of thing. If you're in a situation where you, you can't help being within six feet of other people, then have your mask on. I would wear a face mask whenever I'm going into a situation where I have to be amongst people in close proximity where I can't social distance and be six foot from another person. So when you're going to the grocery store or any other type of store, and even on hikes when the trail is really narrow, I always have a mask with me and I put it on whenever I'm passing someone on the trail. I think we still have to be cordial and nice and polite to people, but realizing that, you know, you have to protect yourself and you need to protect others as well. You probably feel like you're becoming a face mask expert at this point, but knowing why you should wear them and when can be completely neutralized by not wearing them properly. Believe it or not, there are a few important tips to remember when using face coverings that make them effective. Keep your hands off it. Only touch it by the straps. For people who don't use masks every day, like, why would you guys know this? But, like, as a nurse, you kind of want to think about what you're contaminating with the parts of your mask that you're touching. So, in theory, if you're wearing this mask because you could have COVID and you don't know yet, 
then you're breathing COVID onto the inside of your mask. So if you touched the inside of your mask and then touched other things, you'd be spreading virus all around. On the other hand, if you've worn your mask out and people breathed on your face, you could have COVID virus on the front of your mask. So you don't want to touch the front of your mask and then touch your face, right? Or touch other things. So really, you don't want to touch your mask at all, except for by the straps to take it on and off. And then I know it's so hard. I know it's weird. We, none of us are used to wearing masks, but don't like pull it up and down a ton. Don't readjust it. Like when you put it on before you go out, adjust it, get it comfortable, and then it's hands off until you're taking it off. Don't pull it down to talk to people. I see that a lot, you know, because you want to connect with other people and you want them to see what you're saying. So the temptation is to like grab your mask and pull it down and lean in to talk to someone, which is like literally there's no point in having your mask on. That's the moment you're supposed to have your mask on is when you're talking to someone else. So it kind of defeats the purpose if you're going to do that. We need to cover both your nose and your mask for the face mask to actually be used correctly. And if you're not covering your mouth, you're spreading germs that way. And if you're not covering your nose, you're not protecting yourself from the particles in the air of the environment that you're in. And I understand it's so uncomfortable to have a mask out. It's hard to breathe. I understand that. I do it uh, in the hospital. I'm in a mask for 12 to 13 hours a day. I understand that's really hard. But just also, if it is difficult, you know, realizing that you need to have shorter interactions in public, um, but also realizing that wearing a mask properly is very important. And then safe mask use goes with super solid hand hygiene. So wash your hands before you touch your mask, wash your hands after you take it off, and then toss it right in the laundry and wash your mask between uses. There's one last kind of best practice Emily wants you to think about that goes with mask usage. And it's probably the most challenging, but most important one to think about and work toward doing when you feel safe to do so. What I've been finding is, you know, even at work, and I, I work at a hospital where nurses are used to wearing masks, but this is a change for us. So we're going to have to get used to speaking up and asking people to be safe around us. It's kind of an awkward conversation, but that's something I've really been practicing. So I will, as kindly as I can, say, you know, I'm wearing my mask to protect you. Can you please wear yours to protect me to someone who's maybe hanging out with you and not wearing a mask? Practice some wording until you feel comfortable asking people to be safe around you. I'm going to jump right in and say what a lot of you are most likely thinking. This pandemic is a lot of work. And having tough conversations on top of it might seem like too much to handle, which is completely human and a fair thing to be feeling. But these are also important conversations to have, not just for yourself, but for others in your community and the communities that you travel to that you love the most. So in light of that, I wanted to offer you a few more ways you can bring up this conversation with anyone near you that wants to interact or is standing nearby and isn't wearing a face mask or covering. And no, this isn't a role play. You don't have to repeat after me. But these are a few different ways you can approach the conversation the next time it becomes relevant. I'm not sure if you're aware, but our city, state, or county has asked everyone to please wear face coverings in public. Would you please consider wearing yours? Hey, before you continue, I'd love to talk more, but first, I'd feel more comfortable if you were wearing your mask. I see you have a mask with you. Would you mind putting it on? It'll make me and others around you feel more safe. In asking someone to wear a face covering, also remember that their response has nothing to do with you, and defensiveness is not an uncommon reaction to these kinds of questions. 
It's also important to note that there might be really important reasons someone isn't wearing a mask. Those who have experienced physical trauma, for example, might be triggered by wearing face coverings. There's also physical safety to consider in wearing one at all. You may have seen news reports by now where people of color have not been welcomed into stores because they're wearing a face covering. This is all to say, if you ask, be gracious. And know that if you feel good about how you carried the conversation, that's what counts. So, face masks. Check. We've touched on the importance of those. But what about all of the other aspects of travel? Can we drive anywhere this summer? What about camping or staying at a hotel? We'll get into more complexities of traveling responsibly after this. Here's the truth. Mental health can be more difficult to manage on the road or in light of recent events. Fortunately, no matter where you are right now, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Thanks to their online interface, you can connect with your professional counselor by scheduling secure video and phone sessions in a safe and private online environment, meaning that you can get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can even chat and text with them too. I tried BetterHelp this past season to work through feeling alone as I met some major life changes. And because access to a therapist was limited, going to a counselor in person just wasn't an option for me. This was all a great fit for BetterHelp. After signing up, I was connected with a licensed professional counselor and was communicating with them in less than 24 hours to chat about my struggles and goals for therapy in a confidential online setting. BetterHelp has over 3,000 U.S. licensed therapists across all 50 states who specialize in topics like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflicts, grief, and self-esteem. And you can customize your needs to get the best therapist fit for you. Getting started with counseling can feel scary, but it's really something that can help. And with BetterHelp, which takes affordability into consideration, you can get started today, even if you don't have an insurance plan that covers mental health services. Women on the Road listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code ROAD. To get started, go to betterhelp.com road. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love so you can start feeling better inside out. Visit betterhelp.com road and use promo code ROAD for 10% off. We're back with more on responsible travel. And before we get too far into some of the logistics to consider with getting back out there, something we need to call out first, the thing that's compounding confusion among folks all across the country, is that everyone is having a vastly different experience, and will likely continue to, because state, county, and city governments are the ones creating and enforcing regulations. That means that just because your county or state might be allowing travel doesn't mean that the place you're wanting to arrive at is accepting visitors to varying degrees. It also means that we need to take context into heavy consideration when taking advice or hearing from folks online or in the media, because you're likely to get varying perspectives and information based on where people are located. For instance, Katie Bouet, whose voice you heard at the top of the episode, she's located in Utah, which hasn't had a shelter-in-place order at any point during this first wave of the pandemic, which means that various forms of recreation and travel have been lawfully available to Utah residents during this time, which, as Katie summarizes, We've been given an inch, like we, especially here in Utah, like we have an inch, we can go do fun stuff, but like, why do we feel this need to take, you know, a mile or three state lines? Like, (laughs) meanwhile, states like Washington, where Emily Scott is based, are still currently on a stay at home order, but just recently began opening up certain state parks in a limited capacity and has some strong guidance around what non-essential travel ideally looks like during this time. So I live in Washington, and the recommendation right now in Washington is that if you have to stop and fill up your gas tank, that's too far. 
but again, things are changing every day and every state, every county even has different rules. So it's one of those situations where you're really going to have to do some digging and maybe there's a place that you could drive to that wouldn't require you to fill up your gas tank, but that community has been very clear that they don't want visitors right now because it's not safe. You know, there's so many variables for sure. Adding to the fact that every state and even some counties are operating under their own set of rules is the ever-evolving data we have on testing, confirmed positive cases, hospital resources, and other data points, all of which can impact a location's rules around what's allowed, what's not, if they're accepting visitors, or if you as a resident are being asked to stay put. So all this to ask, with things continuing to evolve, how far into the future is too far to make travel plans? M. Chang has some thoughts on that. I personally think that we can't plan too far ahead just because everything's always changing. We're kind of waiting to see if there's a second surge, depending on where you live. Each state is opening up in different ways, if not already open, and each state has their own regulations and rules. So I think first and foremost, you have to maybe be informed on like where your state is at with the pandemic. And then the second thing I think that's really important when you're planning a trip is realizing that your choice to go outside is going to put either yourself or others at risk, depending on your interactions with people and your exposure to other people. And so I think realizing those things and just being aware of them are the first two steps you need to take when you're planning a trip. And I think personally, I don't feel comfortable planning a trip further than maybe a couple weeks to a month. We really do have to realize that our actions do have a bigger impact outside of ourselves. And you know, it can contribute to the rise and the surge of COVID happening again. And since we don't have any vaccines and we have no way to really prevent this from getting to another surge like the beginning, we just have to be very aware of our actions. And ultimately, what are larger entities like the CDC saying about all this? I don't like this. Most people aren't going to like this, but the CDC still does recommend staying home as much as possible and only traveling if it's essential. Planning is super fun. Go to town. I love to plan and we're definitely planning, but like just be willing to be flexible because the virus is going to set the timeline on this. If we have big spikes, then things might shut down again. If things go well in a certain area, then that might be fine. So this summer is definitely not going to go the way many of us were hoping for it to go, but the trade-off is saving thousands of lives, so that's worth it. Okay, okay. It can definitely be a bummer to hear that non-essential travel, in a lot of cases, just isn't responsible right now. But if your state or county allows it, are there ways to responsibly travel at all during a pandemic? Emily frames it as the amount of risk you're willing to take on, and acknowledging what level of risk you're potentially putting on others. Once we're talking about traveling again or taking road trips, we're talking about risk mitigation rather than risk elimination. So if you're going to leave your house and go on a road trip, there is some risk to you and others no matter what. So what you need to think about then is all the ways you can minimize those risks. Some actions feel riskier than others when it comes to traveling too. So I asked M. Cheng, who typically flies often for fun as a travel nurse, but hasn't much recently, about her thoughts when it comes to sitting on a plane versus sitting in a car and which felt more safe. I personally think that when I'm planning my trips, road travel is safer than air travel right now, only because thinking about sitting on an airplane 
with circulating air inside that airplane with someone else. It just doesn't sit right with me. And I think there's a way easier way to minimize the amount of interactions you have on the road versus air. So, for example, on the road, you could prepare your food, go to the grocery store and meal prep and make all your food in a place with a kitchen versus sitting on a plane and having your food like served to you. It's kind of hard to avoid people that way. And so I personally think that road travel is safer than air travel right now. And you have to realize that when you are going from place to place, you could be bringing COVID to that place. And especially when you're going from state to state and flying somewhere, I think that's something to really consider. Like we already mentioned, Utah has been generally open to state residents for travel and camping, with some county-by-county restrictions which means that folks like myself and Katie Bouet have been slowly trying out the best, most responsible ways to do self-contained camping trips in the vehicles we have access to. And it's been very true to what both Em and Emily mentioned about managing and navigating levels of risk at all times. Here's Katie sharing her first experience back out camping and what it was like. I went out camping a week and a half ago and it felt incredible. My boyfriend went for a run as soon as we got there, and I went and found a big slab of sandstone, and I actually just kind of laid down and cried for a good 10 minutes. You know, it it felt so good to be back out there, and especially after we've all been carrying such huge, heavy, messy burdens through all of this. It felt incredible to get back out there, but it also felt a little surreal in an eerie way. It was definitely more full than it usually would be on a weekday in the morning. And it it was quiet, but it was full and it was pleasant. But by the weekend, it was pandemonium. It was so crowded where I went. um, And I was really surprised to see just car after car after car after car going down the dirt roads. And I think that it's a reflection of right now, a lot of public lands are still closed, especially for camping. And so we have these very limited places where we can go recreate and everyone is jonesing to go recreate right now. So we have this huge influx of people to very specific areas. And I think it's just one more reason that we really have to step up our courtesy to other users, our leave no trace ethics, We really need to make sure that we are treading as lightly as possible and being as responsible as we can be, both to each other, but in this instance, especially to um, the places where we're recreating. So, in striving to be as responsible as we can be while traveling, what essential items are important to have with you if and when you do hit the road? Emily has a quick list of things to make sure to bring with you and important times to use them. Hand sanitizer, for sure. If you can find some <laughs> disinfectant wipes, if you can find them, we, whenever we're filling up gas, like wipe the handle down before and after to protect us and then to protect the next person from us. Um, obviously, bring your mask. I have a few so I can have one that's available to use while I'm washing the other one. Uh, I have a thermometer with me that certainly can't hurt. If you're thinking maybe I don't feel so hot, that's an easy way to check and see if you've got one of the like very common symptoms of COVID if you've got a fever, which is 100.4 or more. It may be the first thing that you notice before you start feeling bad. It's possible. But obviously, 
don't check it right after you've eaten something super hot or super cold or after you've been running around in the sun, like check it at a time when your temperature would be normal so you don't freak yourself out. <laughs> fill up on gas in your own community as much as you can, especially if it's just a day trip, like fill up before you leave so that you're not exposing other communities that aren't yours. Bring your own food, bring everything you need so you don't have to stop much and expose other communities. And then bring a backup plan. If you get where you're going and the parking lot's full or there's crowds, have a backup plan just so you can go somewhere else that's not so busy. And then also, like, what's your plan if you get sick? Like, if you're a days and days drive or a flight away from home, what's your plan? If you realize you have COVID, how are you going to get health care? Where are you going to stay? You've got to have a plan for that. So we've talked about some of the important things to pack up for your future time on the road. But what about route planning? This is probably the most commonly asked question we see within this community during non-pandemic times. But in a season where we're also confronting public health responsibilities in a whole new way, this seems even more important to ask because the stakes are higher and our travels have a larger impact, which M. Chang outlines for us. When we're planning road trips this summer, I think we have to be a lot more intentional and thoughtful about where we're going, where we're going to stop. And I know me personally, I love spontaneous trips, but with everything going on, I really have to plan out where am I getting my water? Where am I getting my food? Where am I going to stop to go to the bathroom? Those are all things that I, in the past, have never really considered that much and prepared. But I think right now there are places that are not open or have limited hours. Those are all things that we have to consider now with road travel and being very intentional with the fact that Every human interaction has a ripple effect. And kind of how I see COVID right now is that every person I interact with, I'm also interacting with everyone they've interacted with. And so when I'm planning a road trip, I think we should be more prepared with food and water and having those things prior to going on a road trip so that you can minimize the amount of human interaction that you have and pit stops that you have along the way. One factor that typically plays a role in route planning is climate. And we don't know about you, but we've heard occasionally online and anecdotally that the sun and heat can kill a virus like COVID-19, which has some folks planning potential road trips to warmer locations because it feels safer. With this in mind, we asked Emily Scott, who's had experience working during the Ebola crisis and has been keeping an eye on this kind of data, what she thinks about all this and if it feels like reliable information right now. My understanding from the data we have so far is that we just still don't know for sure. We're still seeing outbreaks in places with hot climates for sure. So if it was that black and white, we wouldn't be seeing outbreaks in those places. We'll see, I guess, what happens in the States as we go forward and over the summer. Although there's so many other factors in there that it's hard to really drill down to like, is it just because it got warmer? A lot more data is needed, a lot more research is needed on that. And unfortunately, with a new virus like this, it hasn't even been around for a year. So we haven't had it long enough to know what weather cycles are going to like do to this. We're definitely not in a situation where you can go, oh, well, it's hot in Utah, so I'll go to Utah and that'll be safer than going on a road trip in Washington. We're not in that situation at all. If you're listening to all this and are starting to feel overwhelmed, it's okay. And honestly, it's human. It's important to remember that we're all working through this. All of us. Katie Bouet jumps in with some advice on how to come to your own conclusions right now, while also adding in some of her own thoughts on the conclusions she's come to, where she personally is and isn't comfortable traveling at this point in time. With both travel and just the general navigation of 
this pandemic world, the most important thing that we can have is open, clear, direct, and safe communication. So being able to talk to your friends, being able to talk to the people you live with about, you know, what feels safe, what feels comfortable, and being able to get non-judgmental feedback, I think is really helpful for all of us. You know, ask your friends, what are your personal limitations right now? Where are you heading out? If it's a friend that you live near, you know, kind of ask them how far they're traveling right now. And use your best judgment. I think there's a lot of cohesion around the idea that we should kind of stay within state lines. That's something that I'm personally adopting. I don't know that I would feel totally authoritative saying like, that's the hard and fast rule. That's what feels good for me. I am not going anywhere near the Navajo Nation and I'm not going anywhere near, you know, a couple hundred miles north of the Navajo Nation as well. My circle is pretty tight and I feel really good about it. And it's not that I'm not getting outdoors either. I went camping two weeks ago. I am planning to go camp this weekend. And I found a way that I feel comfortable doing that respectfully with zero contact. I feel prepared. I feel like I've minimized the risks and I feel okay about that. But I think that that okay space is different for everyone. And I also think that we should be really open to feedback from our friends and our trusted community to you know gauge where we're at. Are we making good decisions? Could we be a little more conservative? Could we be a little more flexible? And so I think having good communication with your friends and people you trust right now is so key in all of this decision making. You probably heard Katie mention specifically that she doesn't plan to travel anywhere near the Navajo Nation a 17.5 million acre territory which spans parts of Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah, and is home to many indigenous Navajo people. For road travelers, Navajo Nation is typically known for some incredibly iconic locations in the states, like Monument Valley. But right now, this region and the community within it have been greatly impacted by COVID-19. Emily Scott did an incredible job explaining why we should do everything we can to support the Navajo and other indigenous communities during this time, starting by not traveling there. This is not the time to be traveling to or through indigenous communities. I think as a country, we've already done enough damage as far as bringing illnesses and viruses to these communities and decimating them. So let's treat them with some extra respect right now and also be aware that they don't have the healthcare systems that other places in the U.S. have, don't have the ability to handle this if they have an outbreak. So like Navajo Nation right now has the highest per capita infection rate for COVID-19 in the U.S., like it surpassed New York. I'm going to steal some statistics from the Instagram account Seeding Sovereignty. So if Navajo Nation is in similar size to West Virginia, we'll compare the two. West Virginia has 163 grocery stores. The Navajo Nation has 13. So you can imagine it's much harder to socially distance when you're getting food. It's also harder to get everything you need. So... I mean, going there and taking their supplies, which are already minimal, would be awful. And then West Virginia has 63 hospitals, while the Navajo Reservation has six. So it takes a very smaller number of COVID cases to overwhelm that hospital system on the Navajo Nation. And then it's also a lot easier to spread in that community because a lot of them do not have running water throughout the reservation. And a lot of times, multiple generations are living in one home. So even if they're following the stay-at-home order, if you get one person sick, it might just burn through the entire family because they are all living together. And then lastly, Native Americans are being left out of the data count on COVID cases. Apparently they get counted as other 
So this is the kind of thing that decides how funding and support get allocated and how decisions get made. So leaving them out and not having them have their own specific data set is super problematic. So my point being, this is a super at-risk population. And so we need to be careful when we're traveling through those places. So like, this is not the time to be going to Monument Valley or like one of our favorite places to camp is right outside of Monument Valley and Valley of the Gods. And it's not technically on the Navajo Nation, but it's right there. It's right next door. And we would have to like stop and get food and water and gas in the Navajo Nation. So just skip it this summer. Just don't. If you want to learn more about how to support the Navajo Nation during this time, you can find links to resources in our show notes. So, getting back on the road. Let's say you have a route you feel good about. It's close to where you're based right now. You can drive there and back on a single tank of gas or within your government's local regulations. You're self-contained. You have your supplies. There's still one more step, Emily says, and it's really important. Do your best to determine your risk to people in other towns you're heading to, or if it's legal to visit there at all. People are going to have to be really responsible and take their time to do their research. And I know that's not super fun, but that's the only way to go about this right now because there is just no national overarching set of rules to follow. And I think we're definitely going to see like spikes in some states and some states being under control and varying reactions at different places. So go to your Department of Health's website for your state or even your county. I guarantee you they have a COVID page. They may even have like a COVID hotline. Call them if it's unclear. And then keep in mind that there are many places where the rules may technically say one thing, but those rules might just fly in the face of public health reality and data. So like I know Wisconsin recently struck down their stay-at-home order but that doesn't change the reality that they have widespread community transmission of COVID-19. So think critically and use common sense. And maybe just because your state is saying, yeah, it's fine to do whatever you want, but you're seeing your case numbers rise and rise and rise, and maybe you don't have any ICU beds free, then that's not the time to be going out and traveling. And then when I'm deciding if I'm going to travel, I try to think about it in two ways. So first of all, what's my risk of getting infected. So I don't want to probably go to a big city like New York right now, somewhere that has high rates of infection or it's very difficult to socially distance. Like I know Yellowstone just opened back up. Like that's a hard no. That sounds like a bad idea. There's already like tons and tons of tourists. Like that's not a good idea right now. Or if you're immune compromised or you're in a high risk group, like is it worth it? What's your risk of getting infected? But then you also have to think about it the other way. What's the risk that you might infect someone else? So right now in Washington, I could go to a coastal town and hang out at the beach because there's not very many infections there and I would feel very healthy and like safe myself, right? But those towns are begging people not to visit because their health systems would not be able to handle a surge of COVID cases. And I know that's true for a lot of places that are popular for outdoor recreation that might have small towns that have one hospital with a couple of ventilators. So you're like really risking lives by coming into those communities. And you're not the only person who's out there who's thinking like, oh, well, I could just go over to Moab because it's outdoors and, you know, there haven't had many cases and whatever. You're not the only person thinking like that. So these places are going to get floods of visitors once things start to open back up. So pay attention to like whether they really want you there or not. And like even if these places are saying it's safe enough to open back up or we need tourism to keep our businesses going or whatever. Like that doesn't mean you go back and everything is like normal. It means 
come through and be super safe. Like, get takeout, don't eat in restaurants, pick up curbside if you need to pick stuff up, wear your mask, do your hand hygiene, keep your distance, assume you're infected while you're going through these places, and then safely throw your money at those small businesses and then get out of there. <laughs> like everything we're covering in this episode, knowing the ins and outs of how to best navigate as a tourist or traveler when it comes to public health can feel intimidating. But with some time and practice, you can quickly become more informed and feel prepared if you're thinking about getting on the road. Katie Bouet has joined us on the show before to talk about the importance of supporting local outdoor recreation economies, and she has some thoughts on the biggest way we can give back if we're passing through and remaining fully self-contained. You know, we talk all the time about the importance of supporting your local outdoor recreation economy. But right now, we're also sending out this message of if you travel, you need to come with all of your supplies. Don't stop in town don't take away resources from grocery stores. Um, but by that same token, that means we're not supporting those local recreation economies. We're just going to their areas and taking recreation, if you will. We are kind of just taking up space and resources on the land, but we're not actually giving anything back. So I think that's that really drives home the point too of why we have to be so good on leave no trace and really re respecting the land and treading lightly because it's the least we could do right now because we're really not contributing back to these outdoor recreation economies that rely on us so much. Speaking of leave no trace, let's talk about camping. When a lot of us hit the road, we're doing so with the intent of spending time outside and camping in or with our vehicles. So how do we do this in the safest way right now? If you're going to be camping, definitely Dispersed camping is better than in public campgrounds, like sharing public bathrooms and showers and stuff. That's not a great situation. But of course, I do have worries about a lot of people getting into dispersed camping for the first time this summer just because of this situation. And it requires a lot of preparation. And you've got to remember to like leave no trace and bring everything you need. So if you're going to going out and trying to be doing dispersed camping, like do your research and be prepared. The type of camping Emily just mentioned, dispersed camping, also sometimes referred to as drag camping, free camping, or boondocking, is a style of camping where you park self-contained out on public lands managed typically by the Bureau of Land Management or the National Forest Service. If you haven't done it before, there are a lot of things to know about dispersed camping before you go. And fortunately, there are also ample resources online to help you learn if you haven't done it before. Because typically there are zero services out dispersed camping, Katie Boy brings up some of the questions you'll need to ask yourself if you plan to go out and disperse camp this season and beyond. Is it open? Can I camp there? Can I have a fire there? That's really important for us during this time of getting back out there is to remember there's a lot of fire bans that are happening right now. We're projected to have a pretty gnarly wildfire season. So checking all of those things. Do I need to pack out my human waste? You know, making sure that I'm fully prepared in every single way and that I know everything that's open you know we make sure that we are fully topped off before we leave Salt Lake City and we go to places where we can get there and back in a single tank and you know it's just prepare 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 is my motto. So maybe you're not into camping right now or the closest safest travel options for you don't have a lot of back roads or public lands access. You might be considering what it looks like to stay at a hotel or nightly rental like an Airbnb. But how do you determine if they're safe to stay at? We asked M. Chang, and like a lot of things, it comes down to a stronger sense of personal responsibility. 
I think when you're considering a stay at a hotel or Airbnb, don't automatically assume that that place has been fully sterilized and clean. I think we really have to take the responsibility on ourselves to bring hand sanitizer and bring things to clean surfaces and making sure you wash your hands before you eat, like things that we hear over and over again. But just to reiterate that those things are the most important things to prevent us from getting COVID, but really just taking the responsibility of your own cleanliness and not just assuming that, oh, just because it's an Airbnb or hotel, they must be cleaning it. They must be bleaching the entire place. You don't know that for sure. And it just gives you a peace of mind by you taking that responsibility into your own hands. Sit tight. We'll be back with more tips for navigating responsible travel after this. Solomon is encouraging women to celebrate the ways they're inherently beautiful in their own way. We are so excited to join Solomon in their WMN campaign by chatting with some of their ambassadors we look up to for their beauty, including Laura, who shares about a hike she took in the Grand Canyon. Thanks for chatting with me, Laura. Can you paint the picture for us of a time that you felt as radiant as you are while you were outdoors? I think back to one day when I hiked the Bright Angel Trail. You hike down like 4,000 some feet and then you hike back up. And as I was hiking back up, I was utterly exhausted. But I realized as I was going uphill that it was a lot easier for me to travel uphill because I have such muscular legs. And I found myself feeling really thankful and overwhelmed, honestly, for having such strong big legs that carry me up thousands and thousands of feet in a day. And it's something that I used to get down on myself a lot for. And now it's something that I love embracing because I know that it makes me strong. I love that. Are there any Solomon products that you've been using and what do you love about them? The women's outline shoe, which you can go running or hiking in. It's just a great all-around shoe for everyday adventures. And then I've also really loved the Sense Squirt. The first time that I got on a stand-up paddleboard and went on the water, I pulled on the Squirt over my bikini bottoms, and I felt really strong and awesome and powerful wearing a skirt going down these rapids on a stand-up paddleboard. Learn more about Solomon's wide range of shoes and apparel at Solomon.com. That's S-A-L-O-M-O-N dot com. We're back. And in all of this, wherever you're considering traveling to and wherever you're planning to stay, it's important to think about who you're going with, or rather, who you're not going with. Emily Scott has been urging folks to go only on adventures with those in their own household, meaning those you're currently living with. But I know... No matter how many times I tell people not, not to meet up with people outside their household, the people are going to do it because I live in reality and I have them on social media and I see it happening. So if you are insisting on hanging out with people outside of your household, take precautions to decrease your risk of catching or transmitting COVID. You're on a risk spectrum for sure. Staying at home, seeing no one, being almost no risk, going out and doing whatever you want and hanging out and having parties being like a 10 on the risk scale. So again, I'm going to reference Science Sam. She has this formula for risk, which is risk equals viral dose times time. And, you know, we don't have any perfect idea of how much virus exposure it takes to get you sick, but definitely the less you expose yourself to, the better. So keeping your groups small, if you can just pick a very small number of people that you're going to see, that's better than seeing anyone you want. Stay outside. Ventilation is good for getting rid of this virus. So if you are insisting on seeing people that are outside your household, do it outside rather than being in an enclosed space. 
and then maintain your distance. Keep maintaining distance. Try to stay six feet apart as much as possible. Wear your masks if you're not going to be six feet apart. Don't share items like eating utensils, tools, that kind of thing. We can pass the virus on surfaces. And then just keep it short. So again, we talked about time being a factor in this. So the longer you're around someone, the more virus in theory they could be like breathing onto you. So if you have a very short interaction, you might be fine. But the longer and longer you hang out and they breathe more and more, the higher the viral dose you're exposed to, the more likely you are to get sick. Another incredibly important way to minimize risk is to be mindful of what we're doing when we do get on the road. Things like safe driving, not taking back roads that are beyond you or your vehicle's ability level, and avoiding high-risk activities or ones that you're trying for the first time. M. Chang explains more on that. You know, as we start to recreate outside and travel around, we have to be mindful of the fact that if you're doing an activity that's high risk, you could be bringing a potential situation to the hospital that might overwhelm the existing healthcare providers there already. So, for example, I think it's really important for people to go outside and find their happy place and recreate outdoors for their mental health, but I don't think that we should be participating in really high-risk activities. That's just bringing in situations that are just taking resources away from where we need to be allocating our resources right now. And when it comes to healthcare workers in general, a lot of folks are wanting to know how to show their respect and support during this time, which is a great question to ask. As healthcare professionals, both Emily and M weighed in on this one. It's very sweet. People ask me this all the time, and I think they want something more to do than just stay home because it doesn't feel like you're doing much to help us, but you are. In a situation where we don't have adequate personal protective equipment, every extra COVID patient puts us at risk. So really the best way you can protect frontline workers and healthcare workers is to just like not get anyone else infected and follow the rules and stay home. Every one less COVID patient makes a difference. I know in the beginning with the surge and everything, a lot of people were buying surgical masks and 95 masks and those resources really do need to be saved for people who are in the hospital in higher risk and higher exposure of COVID. And so I highly recommend people to still not buy those types of masks. And if you do have extra, please donate them to your local hospitals and facilities because we are at the highest risk. And we've seen in studies all over the world that um, a high percentage of healthcare workers are actually getting COVID because of our increased risk. And so please protect yourself, please protect us in those ways, and just making sure to stay as safe as possible when you're recreating outside in whatever capacity that is and realizing that, like, when you do take risks outside, you could be, you know, endangering yourself and also just pulling resources from where they need to be right now, which is to take care of COVID. So in this episode, we've covered some considerations for protecting yourself, your immediate community, and those you might interact with, directly or indirectly, while on the road. We've also talked about protecting the health of our environment during this time while at camp. But there's one more level of health we haven't talked about, and that's the online environment you surround yourself with and contribute to. When it comes to COVID-19, being on your screen is something that requires just as much awareness as when you're planning road travel. In short, you've got to be mindful. Being really thoughtful about where you get your news and what you share is huge. As a healthcare worker, I know it's really hard to go to work and deal with the virus and be thinking about it all day long. 
and then come home and see people posting conspiracy theories and just like misinformation and half truths and then spend my off days fighting all of that too it's exhausting so you definitely can help healthcare workers just by being very thoughtful about where you're getting your news and fact checking things before you share them i know there's a lot of stuff you see on the internet and it gives you like a knee-jerk reaction and you're immediately like oh my gosh and i gotta share this people have to see but like do some digging before you put it out there because chances are if it makes you have a really emotional visceral reaction that it's made to do that <laughs> so figure out if it's really true before you go sharing it and then um lastly just set a good example on social media i'm really aware of this right now because uh, we have the travel blog account and I'm like, I don't even know what to post right now because I don't want to be encouraging people to travel. But my rule is that I don't want to post pictures of myself doing anything I wouldn't encourage everyone else to do. People are looking around to see how others are acting. So if they see that everybody's ignoring the stay-at-home order, then they're like, okay, cool, I can ignore it too. On the other hand, if they see that everyone's wearing masks and staying six feet apart and still staying home, they're more likely to get on board and less likely to just be like flagrantly out there um, breaking the rules. So just set a good example. People are watching. We're guessing by now that a good number of you might be feeling overwhelmed at the considerations and preparation it takes to hit the road responsibly. And you're not alone. The reality is that there is a lot to consider when deciding to travel during a pandemic, and it's not something to take lightly. So feeling overwhelmed is normal but it's also not an excuse to not do the work it takes if you want to travel for fun. Know that if you're choosing to travel, it's a privilege and something you're lucky to get to do during these times especially. And what's more is that you have an entire community who's here to support you as you do your research and potentially venture out a short distance to explore more of the beauty you have close to you already. So make some plans, keep in touch with the facts, and learn what feels most ethical for you, both when you're on the road as well as when you return home. A lot of people are looking for guidance as far as like permission with what's okay and what's not. And honestly, at the end of the day, you can just become as educated as you want with everything. And then at the end of the day, you have to make your own choice. And I think you have to realize just what is going to make you feel the most safe and most comfortable and doing that and looking inwards and realizing like what is going to make you feel the most okay with whatever situation and travel recreating outdoors versus looking at what other people are doing. Thank you so much to Emily Scott, M. Chang, and Katie Bouet for taking time out of your incredibly busy schedules to have conversations with me. We encourage you to follow Emily Scott at Two Dusty Travelers and M. Chang at Explorin M. Chang for more thoughts on navigating COVID-19. And you can find Katie Bouet at Katie Bouet to learn more about camping and recreating responsibly. Additionally, and perhaps most importantly, we're especially hoping you'll check out the good handful of links and resources we're